0: Hello and welcome to episode 147 of Effect. Secrets of the Void be with you, my friend. I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And now we've finally
1: managed to get the introduction to the episode done properly. Thank you, Matt. Take at least two, two? if not three. Arse. Um. What? <laughs> yeah, but we're three minutes into the recording and this is about ten seconds into the actual episode. Anyway, we have got, as usual, a action packs episode for you today. Um, what have we got coming up? Well, as usual, we'll say a little thank you to um, some new patrons we've had come on board, which is fabulous, as always. We uh, talk about the world of gaming after that, as usual, and we're going to talk a little bit about Twilight 2000, um, a game called Wild from a couple of our friends of the show, and um, maybe a bit of Dune and some other stuff then I have finally gotten around to writing my little piece on the Nomad Federation that we promised a couple of episodes ago, and so we'll give you that. We're just looking at the nomads um, uh, from a a more cultural point of view and maybe historical. Um, So that's hopefully going to be interesting for you all to listen to. And keeping with the Coriolis Theme. We will round off the episode with our recent interview with Ricard Antroya, the writer of the Last Cyclade and the Mercy of the Icons campaign, which is brilliant. Now, there's an interesting thing there because Matthew is our GM for um, Mercy of the Icons, so obviously he knows all the secrets of the Last Cyclade, whereas I don't. So I have to uh, vacate the room halfway through that interview. So he and Ricard to talk a little bit about some of the secrets that are in there so there will be spoilers but we will make it clear when those spoilers are coming yeah, uh, folks so if you don't if you don't want to hear them well, you can just um move off at that point but this will all be at the end of the episode so you don't need to worry until we get to the interview yeah our we'll
0: plan is for you to say goodbye halfway through the episode uh, yeah, halfway through that interview then we'll we'll run the end yeah. credits frankly we'll finish the episode for anybody who doesn't want to hear spoilers they're still getting a whole episode of effect but after the end credits, Ricard and I will carry on the interview and talk about the impact of part two of Mercy of the Icons on GMs. So if you want to listen to that bit, then listen to that bit.
1: Yeah, and I you know, I recommend it. I mean, Ricard is such a great guy. He's always a real pleasure to chat to. Uh, so it's a really, good, a really good interview. At least the, the half of it I listened to and was involved with was... Uh, anyway, the other half might be a bit. Yeah, the second half's
0: now, a lot running, better, but, Dave, you know, because we had fewer interruptions. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> I think you know we'll have to leave it to
1: our to our esteemed listeners to decide for themselves. So, um,
0: let's get anyway, on with our patrons. patrons now. I have to say, I'm I'm confused by Patreon um, because in the last month our uh, uh, our membership total has fluctuated between. 42 and 45 patrons but we appear to have only Mm. got one brand new patron so first of all i just want to say thank you very much to the person known on patreon at least as panicked sheep thank you for joining our little gang Thank you. It's always good to
1: have more panicked sheep in our gang. And as That's to brilliant. who
0: the other two are, I'm not entirely sure. I can't work it out from this. I think one of them might be our <laughs> friend Andy Gibbs, who um, is having trouble with his credit card uh, and yeah. and has frequently tried to support. And then his credit card company have decided that Patreon and Patreon look like a dodgy group of bastards or something, and um, cancelled his <laughs> transactions. Uh, and I think he might have put some new credit card details in, and maybe has effectively become a new patron, but patron has recognised him from being an old patron. I I have no idea. Anyway, Andy, (laughs) thank you very much for um, sorting out your finances for us and contributing, uh, not just your voice, but but also some hard cash. And and Andy, yeah, thank you for just being a lovely guy. Just for being a lovely guy. Exactly. So, yeah, they're the only two um, patrons I can see to name. Uh, There may be a third one, and maybe um, that will be evident next month. And I'll have to say his name. We had this mix up actually uh, a couple of months ago as well. Something a bit weird going on with Patreon's interface, I think. But um, anyway, that's enough for patrons. Thank Um, you to all our patrons, of course, because they're really great. And we sent out some swag. Um, We sent out some of our special Patreon badges to all our patrons who uh, gave us their postal address. And if you haven't and you'd like a badge, drop a postal address in the messages to us in the Patreon format, in the Patreon um, message centre, and we'll pop one in the post to you. A couple of those have come through broken, so I'll send out a couple of replacements to those two people. And we've also sent out some nice swag for our top-level patrons as well.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I'd just like to say... um, if you are the mystery patron, um, thank you very much. Uh, anyway, even though we can't find out what your name is right now, but I think that sounds like an excellent title for either an episode or a troubleshooter scenario <laughs> or something. Yes. The mystery patron.
0: We need to find out who yeah, it is. Yeah, that could work in a whole bunch of our brands, isn't it? The patron mystery could be a. <laughs> yeah. And Loop one as well. <laughs> it
1: yeah, disappears yeah, in the face really. of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool, but thank you. Yeah, as Matthew says to all our patrons, as always, it's wonderful uh, your support. Brilliant. Right, let's move on to the world of gaming. Um, yeah, where where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Wild, Matthew?
0: And our friend yeah, Stuart. So, Dave? um you may be aware if you're listening to us that we're just starting to be a little bit better at um well, I don't know whether better, but we're we're trying harder. <laughs> <laughs> There's more, more, pr- more, uh, presence, yes, yeah, more they, presence. Yeah, more on, presence on, on the streaming, uh, except this last week, where just everything we'd planned fell through, but there we go. Um, uh, but we did, the week before last, an interview with Stu Goff and with um, uh, Dave, Chapman, Dave Chapman, who's, I was trying to think of his um, uh, Twitter title, Autocratic, um, and they have, yeah, they're coming, it. oh, I think they're coming to the very end of their, um, Kickstarter campaign for Wild which we talked about before but um, I think it's worth talking about again and uh, Wild mm. is a kind of Inception uh exploring dreams game uh, that's really had quite a successful run through Kickstarter so I think they've hit all their targets and um, they're going for the last one let me just I think they are they're just, they're just pushing for the last yeah. stretch goal I think um,
1: uh, um when I, when I last checked and yesterday. That
0: last stretch goal is You can't remember, neither can I. I don't well,
1: know. They, they they no, were I'm quite excited it by
0: it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up on um, mm. we'll edit out some of these pauses and um...
1: so yeah, so sadly I, I wasn't able to make the interview at the last moment, um, but it sounds like uh, Matthew and the guys had a really good chat. But it's yeah, it's an interesting concept, the the idea of the game. And um, the only reason I I personally haven't backed it is simply that um, you know economic reasons at the moment I have to be a little bit more careful on um, on how much we've I can got back. to be
0: a little tight here, um, but yes, well, there's
1: uh, so. But it it look it looks great, and it's 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 doing really well as well. I think in yeah, terms of backing, I think it's it? pleasantly
0: surprised both Stu and uh, Dave Chapman, um, and uh, they've they've really got all the stretch goals they wanted, and I don't. No, in fact, um, yeah, they've reached their last stretch goal as well, which is the dust cover for the deluxe edition, which I think they only did so that I would up my pledge again to the deluxe edition, because I said that I'd only lowered it (laughs) because I like the artwork (laughs) on the standard edition. So um, I'll have to look at that in the next couple of days and uh, see whether I'm going to do it. Three days more to run at the time of recording on that one. Uh, And it's a very nice looking book. So that
1: will close on... So that will close on the fourteenth. Is that right? Which will be Monday.
0: Ah, uh, yes, Monday. The Monday at two p.m. Greenwich Mean Time or UTC. That will finish. Yeah. So if we get this out this weekend and you listen to it, then then join us there. So um, that was a great interview, and uh, maybe that's a good time to. Uh, the, Dave Chapman said, "Oh, did you also want to speak to Andrew Peregrin?" Um, and mm-hmm. I said yes. Good good
1: segue. We are in
0: contact with Andrew Peregrine. We haven't yet fixed a time for an interview. But one of the reasons why uh, Andrew, who is a storied British creator of role-playing games, he's had his hand in all Mm -hmm. sorts of games that I've really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, Very much um, kind of on the scenario writing side as opposed to core stuff, and uh, the stuff I've particularly seen his name on. But um, he's got a, a... a small Kickstarter out himself for a game called Opera House, which is about running a theatre, which Andrew happens to know quite a bit about because that's his day job. So uh, uh, I've placed that just at a PDF level because um, I think, you know, well, you know, as you say, money's tight. But uh, I'd like to get a chance to talk with Andrew and maybe we will next week before his Kickstarter finishes. Mm. And... So I haven't
1: looked at Opera House yet, and um, uh, I I will have a look now.
0: Do you know how much longer is left on the Kickstarter? I can, for that I, can one? I can look it up here because I have Kickstarter open right in front cool. of me, and there are nine days to go. On I think Opera it's
1: House. nine. Okay, cool. So I, I'll certainly have a look at that, and I might chip in for the PDF version as well, potentially, because that I quite like the idea of you know a role playing game in that kind of setting because it would change the. Well, I don't know how Andrew's going to going to good to present it, but to me it would change the sort of role playing dynamic into something much smaller and more personal, rather than something. Yeah, really no, brand, it... which is which really which is really attractive to me. I like I love that idea of a more focused and intimate mm-hmm. sort of role playing on 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 kind of character motivations and issues that are you know, are equally important to that character, but they're not universe sweeping. And it's quite nice to have a game. Yeah, it's like Star
0: Trek's something. bottle episodes, as they called them, where they got a very small budget, yeah. so it was all based in a ship or part of a ship even, and a couple of actors who are having to, you know, have a really personal and intimate um, story carry, playing,
1: the, yeah. carry that show, yeah, exactly.
0: So yeah. that looks really good anyway, and I'd like to have a chat with him. And okay. partly because his other big news is he is involved in something else that was announced this week, in fact, yesterday. Well, not announced, we'd heard about it before, the Another... pre-orders started yesterday. And that is from Modiphius. And That's Dune, which is
1: another excellent segue. Matthew, your segues in this segment—I'm on fire. aren't d- just there. They're, they're, they're as good as they've ever been. In fact, this is the best. This is the best example of segueing I've seen from <laughs> you ever. Well done. If segueing is actually a word. Um, but yes, Dune. Oh yeah. So now, um, yeah, this is this is much anticipated, isn't it? So I, I think my. My one concern with it is that it's the 2D20 system.
0: We're not uh, major fans of 2D20. So <laughs> uh, and interestingly, uh, um, I'm probably not... I, I may be breaking an NDA here, so, but uh, I don't really think I, I, I am who? because um, a friend of mine was playtesting that and so we all signed NDAs or he signed on our behalf um, and um, then you know sent us the rules and we started... Um, we we chose characters and we we ran one session until it turned out that she didn't as gm she didn't know anything about dune and um okay and, uh, and so that kind of collapsed there i think she got very uh, self-conscious about her gming style um and i we never explored anymore. and of course you only got uh, with, with with that sort of playtesting thing they sent you the basic rules to begin with, and every adventure sort of adds to the rules. So I don't know, really, how the 2D20 system has been adapted to fit the setting. Uh, But I think that's going to be quite important. You know what, uh, although I'm more of a fan of 2D20 in Star Trek, I know you're not a fan of 2D20 Star Trek. I'm more of a fan of the 2D20 system in Star Trek than I am in Conan. And we do have uh, among our patrons yeah, yeah. very big fans of Conan two D twenty, but yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. So I've never, I've never, I've never played Conan um, or John Carter of Mars or any of those. And I know there is a slimmed down version of two D twenty in of, John in Carter, John especially Carter, yes, which I think, which which I think can only can only help. But the, I mean, the core mechanic is fine. The rolling two D twenty and gaining extra dice and momentum. All that is fine, actually. I, I don't mind that at all. I'm not a huge fan of threat. I don't think that's particularly good. Um, I, I think it carries the same problems that darkness points can, and darkness points can be a difficult thing to manage well yes. for a DM. I think as well in Coriolis. Five, um, but the thing that the thing that I lets me down um, is just all the gump that goes behind that. So all the talents are just so specific that you almost never use them. And when you do use them, you wish you hadn't because they're so boring. The the value system is good, but it's it's arse about face in my view because you you have to challenge your values to do stuff. And that's fine. But actually, if your character, if these values are deeply set in your character, having a scenario that genuinely and credibly challenges that value is really hard for the GM to do if you've thought about your values in any kind mm. of deep sense. And then you, I mean, the thing I do like is focuses. I think focuses work quite nicely, which increases your crit chance. I think that's good, but the rest of it is just too much of it, and it's not it's not terribly well focused for me.
0: Apart from the focuses, um, the focus which is a real pity because I
1: because I isn't. love uh, which is a bit because I love Star Trek and the books are just beautifully done. And I've got quite a lot of them simply because I like having them on the shelf and I like reading some of the background and things because they're really nice, good. Yeah, they're beautiful things to have in your hand. And I have really enjoyed the campaigns that I've played. But I think that's probably been more in spite of the deeper rules than yes. because of. So so Dune, I, I love Dune. Read all the books, seen most of the stuff um, that's been produced on TV and film. It, you know, it is deep and it's... Um, uh, it is broad.
0: Yeah, interestingly, I think one of the I, things, one of the accusations I, I've seen thrown at Dune is, well, you know, it's a very small story. Well, it's a big story, but it's a very focused story on Arrakis, and uh, yeah, can you make a campaign out of it? I'd argue that you can probably more easily make a campaign out of the Dune universe than you can out of the Alien universe, but. I think they have. I think they have similar
1: problems, mm-hmm. actually, because the Alien universe for most people is quite narrowly focused on yeah. kind of the main movies, and the, the Dune universe for most people is focused on probably. You know, oh, absolutely. First for book. me,
0: I I, um, I I I might be being sacrilegious here, but I thought everything else apart from the first book was almost unreadable.
1: No, I disagree. I think the first three were really good. I think God Emperor was probably my favorite of all of them, actually. But beyond that, it did start to get yeah. kind of a bit. Yeah, <clears throat> it was it was crawling up its own backside occasionally. I mean, I, I really enjoyed the original ones, the the prequels that were written by Brian Herbert, yeah. Was it Brian? Kevin? I can't I mean, remember somebody else anyway. Um, they were, I, I read one of those, and that was kind of a waste of time, sadly, because uh, it just felt mm. like a cash in um, on on the dude name. Um, but I think I think in that one, then there's. You could obviously do a brilliant campaign on Arrakis or Arrakis or however you want to pronounce it um, with uh, you know, a sweeping thing of basically following out you know, the idea of uh, the the struggle for Arrakis with you know the houses and the Fremen and all the rest of it. But again, I think it'll be really interesting to see where the context and the lore and the backstory and the history in the book goes to give you that wider spread of campaign ideas. for a Yeah. Universe. So
0: what little I've, I, well, let's start by saying the books look very pretty in what they've shown us in the publicity they shop. Do. So you yeah. may just want to buy them for the prettiness and put them on your shelves. I know, mm-hmm. you know a lot of us RPGs often only buy the book to put on the shelf and hardly ever get it off to play. So that, yeah. you know, it may be fine in that regard, whatever system it's in. Um, something that I realized now, which excites me a little bit but possibly not enough to pre-order is that it's got to create your own house system a bit like um, we did for Song of Ice and Fire and uh, that was a great campaign we ran but part of what made it a great campaign is having our little house I I loved our little house I thought we were great (laughs) Um, (laughs) but
1: I think that's really good so I think that's a nice addition and I think that's an important addition as well because building your own house in that way, like you say, is such fun. And you get really attached to your little yeah. your little house.
0: Uh, so that, that, that holds out. You know, I'm holding out some hope for that. Um, but as I say, I don't think I'm going to be running okay. it. Um, and I don't think I'm going to be buying it in the first surge. If somebody else chooses to run it and makes it exciting, like you did with Song of Ice and Fire, um, you know, then I at mm. least splashed out for the PDF of Song of Ice and Fire after that wonderful house creation session. Yes. So, uh, so we should wait and see. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this conversation has kind of tweaked my temptation. <laughs> the... I've often had a conversation um, with you about some of the stuff we talk about in world of gaming, where you say, "Yeah, I'm not interested in that at all." And then by the end of it, you're going, "But I might just buy it." <laughs> <laughs> I should be getting. I should be getting see, bloody see. commission every time I do this.
1: <laughs> maybe maybe there's some ideas for um for a
0: Christmas <laughs> presents. But one of the other things, and maybe, maybe. it's something we'll try and uh, do next week on the stream channel. So I had a bit of an argument with our old friend Andy Brick about whether system mattered in such things, and I was arguing that you know that this mm-hmm. should yeah. the the two D um, twenty system should definitely be tweaked to reflect Dune. And he said, nah you can do it in anything." So I say, "Well, do it for me in first edition D anD D." He didn't do it in first D&D. edition yeah. because um, he hasn't got it, uh, but he did a very early edition of in D&D basic, and uh, he's made a passable attempt at it, to be fair. So uh, I've, I'll try and get him on the <laughs> on the Twitch um, uh, to talk a bit about the new uh, Dune and his version yeah. um, uh, next week sometime. And he wants to run a game at some point.
1: I was going to say we we need to get him to run a game. Oh, he definitely can, uh, wants to. I mean, you them, know, just,
0: where I fell into just, the trap is I I agreed to actually play the game, which wasn't my intention when I issued the challenge, <laughs> but I have now agreed. So a game will be run, and we will do, put it up you're, uh, at some point. You're very good at like kind of like
1: offhandedly throwing out you like um, declaratory kind of yeah. statements. Without realising without that there yeah. might be a tail to it that comes back to whip you in the end. Well, there is that. On. But I thought I was safe <laughs> because I
0: challenged him to do it in d I thought he'd never touch that system, but the bastard did. <laughs> well, I think he yeah, did simply to spite you, frankly. You. So well done. Well done, Andy. Good man. Yeah. Good man.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to... Be involved in that as well. That oh, cool! Like a I'm great, sure great, great he's great looking
0: for at least a couple more players. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll yeah we'll probably nice. put that on the stream at some point when we can find a day to do stuff and get people together. I know. I right, so and not have to postpone busy, everything like we did last um, week. But, <clears throat> but back back
1: to Dune um, pre-orders. Is, is there a uh, is there a closing date for that? Do you know?
0: No idea. I didn't investigate that.
1: Do you want to carry yeah, on talking while like, I look it up on the Dune's not- website? They're, they're, it's normally quite long for a pre-order, isn't it? They normally give you quite a broad um, span of time to get your pre-orders in. Um, so, uh, so maybe that uh, you know, there's plenty of time left on that. Um, but as I said, I'm, you know, I'm yeah, my, my my little devil sat on my left shoulder is kind of poking me in the neck with his little trident, saying, mm, "Go on, buy it, buy it," because. I would be quite interested to have a look at it and see see what they do with the 2D20 system. And I mean you never know they might um they might articulate talents in a way that I like more than I like them in Star Trek. Um so uh, you know should give them maybe give it give it a crack of the whip. And as you say I I do often buy games when I've got no idea when I'm going to run them just because I'm a role playing game collector and uh, it's nice to have them on the shelf and have a look at what other people are... Um,
0: there is, I can't see a, an end date, but it's interesting to see that uh, the core rulebook is 45 quid. Uh, there's a deluxe uh, yeah. House of Atreides leatherette, it looks like, edition for 80. But uh, for cool. uh, values, uh, uh, in, in terms of value, for 80 quid, there's a standard Game Master bundle which includes the core rulebook, uh, a set of dice, a player's uh, journal, or something, and a GM screen. That, you know that looks like quite an attractive value package. And for sixty quid, mm. there's a core cool rulebook, set of dice, and the player's journal. Uh, that's another reasonably um, good-looking bundle there. And I'm, I'm less worried about the Leatherette yeah, edition on this. Generally, I'm not a big fan of Leatherette, but there
1: yeah. Be. No, I wonder if they're going to do. Presumably they do some kind of survival rules or you know, like um, travel rules and things because I guess if you're... Uh, a lot of Dunes is, is about being in the desert and, and surviving in the desert. So I wonder if they'll do something yeah. specific around that.
0: Yeah. Interesting. I points. can feel I can feel a purchase coming on, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should stop selling issues talking about the good Must value of the bundles. Um, Must resist.
1: Yeah, 80, 80 quid wasn't the level I was intending on going at if I if I was going to go at all but maybe like you say if it's if you get a lot for that 80 quid then it might be worth a stretch if I can pretend it's a christmas present
0: um yeah i'm just uh, interestingly looking at we know how dice work don't we um <laughs> well just, just about <laughs> no but in 2d20 a uh, standard set of 2d20 um dice used to give us a two d20s obviously that's where it gets its name from and then a bunch of d6 that had um, effects dice or something i can't remember what they called them
1: um yeah didn't you get three d20s two, okay maybe pack, it's three d20s and uh,
0: i think and it was four three. d6 or something
1: and 6d6 or four yeah it might be four d6, and i've just yeah. noticed
0: that these dice sets are five d20s and no d six. So that sounds like oh, okay. there's a change in the rules in some regard there straight mm. away.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I don't I don't mind the mechanic in Star Trek using the D sixes mm. as effects. I just don't like the dice. Yeah. It could be clear they could and be they clearer. And they could be usable in other things. Um, I mean,
0: resent a set of D sixes yeah. that can only use the Star Trek. But there we go.
1: I agree. And there's there's no reason why you couldn't just put a no, little number exactly. on the corner. And then, and then have them working as a standard D6 as well. Yeah, I agree with that, yeah.
0: Anyway, so I think that's all we know, and we know very little about um, Dune. We know a little bit more yeah. about Twilight 2000, don't we? We do, we do. We know a lot, quite a bit more about Twilight <laughs> 2000. And uh, that, so does, uh, the, the, <clears throat> the world of gaming news there is that has been distributed to um, to... Kickstarter backers in an alpha that version. Is, yeah, very as usual with them um, with Free League, a very complete looking alpha version. I've had alpha versions that are literally a word document, and this is something that's a proper PDF yeah. with um you know with layout and stuff,
1: with artwork and layout. And I think the one thing is that the game master's guide is not including a bunch of stuff that they haven't completed yet. So like um uh, it's their base creation and right. that kind of stuff. But, that's, but that, well, I haven't even coming. looked
0: at the Game Master's Guide because I have no intention of Game Mastering this game. I looked through the players. But clear, I yeah. thought that the Game Master's Guide might well have spoilers in that. I don't want to see. Mm. I haven't looked through it in detail
1: yet, actually. I've had a look through the player's guide. I haven't created a character yet, but I know lots of people who have. And I know some people who yes, have created we, lots. Yes, we know. It. like Our yeah, friend, friend Andy has, has done something magic. Has done something magical with his computer, and he's now created about yes.
0: fifteen hundred of them. <laughs> it's like, doesn't he? Hasn't he got better things to do? I he mean, has Andy, got better things to do, but he' <laughs> you know the way these coders are when they when they have a problem in their head, they have to play it out.
1: Yeah, they want to fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. What do we want to say about? it? I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of conversation about it on social media. There's been. Um, a lot of very positive stuff, a lot of people who have liked what they're seeing and like quite a lot about how the combat system is going to work. I think conversely there has been um, a kind of thread of conversation that hasn't been so positive, which um, I think is is slightly disappointing for this community. Yeah. There are there are there are people who obviously love Twilight two thousand, obviously have very clear Views and aspirations, and and seem to have got um, upset about some of the things that they've seen, and then necess- not necessarily uh, sort of articulated that disappointment in the way that we might like yeah. to see. And I think that's 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 slightly disappointing. Um, it's less. It seems less so now. I think, but right at the start, there was there was there was a bit of. I think that initial disappointment led to Vitrium. quite a lot of. People metaphorically throwing their hands in the air and being vocally disappointed about it, you know, without necessarily seeing the whole, considering the whole picture. Um, But yeah, I mean, so it's you know, I think the thing to remember is that all the people who are working on this are are doing their very best and want to create a game that not only gives some level of authenticity. For those players who want it to be as realistic as as, as they would like, um, but also to create an environment in the game that is really good for people who are much more focused on the role playing side of it than actually the sort of simulation side of it. And there's always space. I mean, you already already see it on the socials. Lots of fans have immediately dived into doing all sorts of stuff to expand on what's in the in the core books already, uh, which is great. You know, um, which is what free league encourage. Yeah, you know, they they love that and they they're very good at encouraging that. That's one of the things I really like about free league is that very open-handed open-minded attitude towards the fan base and what people can and can't do um with with what they've yeah. created. So that's all great. I just hope that it it continues in that vein because yeah, you know, I guess there will always be a tiny group that will be disappointed because it's not as crunches edition one but you know first edition hasn't disappeared so if you want that crunch go to first edition or add your own crunch if you want 10 different vehicles that are almost exactly the same but are slightly different and you are fully aware of of the differences between them because of your experience or your research or knowledge fine add that into the game and then share it with everybody else in the community so they can use it as well I think, you know, there's lots of opportunity here, and it it could be it could be great. I just just want everyone to look at it in the right
0: place. exactly. I mean, there were some people who uh, expressed uh, vehement disappointment with Alien when that first came out, uh, but that was more about typos mm. and things, as I seem to remember. But I do remember some people going, "Well, I know uh, you've spelt Wayland yutani wrong on the map, so I'm just throwing away the whole book. It's totally ruined for me." <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, that is true.
0: Uh, yeah, and I think don't be all sorts of things. You know, when, well, no, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rake over old calls. But all the previous editions of the game still <laughs> exist, and if this one doesn't meet your exacting needs, then you can still play the beloved version you had before. I guess.
1: Yeah, and I, I can understand a disappointment for someone who who you know played the first edition and loved it and maybe had kind of forgotten about it over the years because they've moved on to do other things and then suddenly they see Twilight 2000s coming back and it brings back all that nostalgia and all that all that hope for 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 you know an updated version of mm. that game um but free league have been very clear that this is going to be uh, you know a crunchier version of the Year 0 engine but it's going to be based on the Year 0 engine yeah. which is simple and it's, you know, that's, you know, they they want to try and get the authenticity and the reality and the simulationist feel, but not at the expense of their system that runs a really fast, exciting... Yeah,
0: and I think looking at it, um, I haven't really got in-depth into combat, but it's from what I've read over the combat, it looks like it's going to be the most complex version of the system that we've had oh, yeah. so far. It also looks... An- and there's something Most I really definitely. like about uh, the approach they've taken. This is going to be a very difficult game to play, Theatre of the Mind, which, OK, would normally turn me yeah. against it because I'm very much, and I think you are too, a Theatre of the Mind-style player. But yeah. given its heritage, given it came out of GDW, who were a wargaming company as much as they were a role-playing game yeah. company... I just love the fact that it reflects that heritage by, you know, giving you little cardboard counters and long run and, and maps, and you have to move it around. Mm. That's not my favourite style of role playing by any means, but it seems fitting for this game. So, um,
1: yeah, absolutely, and it is some people's yeah. favourite style of role playing. Um, and you know, back in the day, we used to play D and D and and Warhammer fantasy role play with figures. And we kind of fell out of that over the years and are kind of, you know, are happier for our own personal playing styles doing that. But, you know, you can still do Twilight 2000 as Theatre of the Mind. So the game that, again, our our friend Andy, um, who's getting a lot of mentions today, uh, ran of First Edition is Theatre of the Mind. And it worked brilliantly. It was a great game, had a lot of fun. It was a really, really lovely reminder of how much fun Twilight 2000 uh, First Edition. You know, could be, was, but it so it means you don't have to play it in uh, with figures or as a you know, like a battle map kind of version. But the the fact that it lets you do that, you know, meets both sides of the house. If you want to play it with figures and a nice big battle map with lots of lovely stuff on it that gives you all that kind of visual, um, uh, that visual uh, sort of simulation, then great, absolutely wonderful. If you don't want that, great, yeah. it works too. So I think it's um, best of both worlds. Right. Hopefully.
0: Shall we move on? Um, we've already done one, uh, uh, again, Twitch uh, and YouTube stream that you can see. And you could go back and, and look at the game that Andy ran as well. That's available on YouTube too. I think we've got planned, we tried to do it this week, but I think uh, we couldn't gather the team, uh, another book club where we'll look at some of the more complex aspects like... Um, Scavenging and combat, uh, so we will look at that in some more detail on our Twitch and YouTube channels. But shall we move on to the nomads?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yes, let's do that. The Coriolis core tells us a little bit about the Nomad Federation. It's a jumble of different families, clans, bloodlines, alliances, and tribes, all claiming nomad heritage. Often these ties are of blood, but bad blood and internecine feuding and generational vendettas are also things that strangely draw these people together. The clans congregate in the quadrant of the pillar, that little exploited diamond of systems, Altai, Sivas, Zao and Ordana, as well as being found in the Rimwood reach, Nomada, Algol, odicon and Melik. They are not above closing portals if they feel their sovereignty is not being recognised. And they can control the biggest fleet in the third horizon, should they put their minds to it. There are a number of things here that immediately jump out at me. They seem to live in the same place. They value things like sovereignty. They are dissolute, but can bring this enormous hive of fighting and clawing enemies together to act as one when they want to. Okay, so let's consider all this. These people are nomads. Think about that word for a second. What is the one thing you associate with nomads that nomads tend to do? Well, they travel, of course. They don't have one place they call home, other than their vessel or their swarm, a home that moves with them. Now, they may well travel a set route, for good reasons. Nomads on old earth would travel to gather food or to move livestock in line with the weather or some such reason. Often the land they were living on was poor, so moving on was the only option if the community were to survive. So I don't think the Nomad Federation really has a notion of sovereignty over anything, other than the vessels they call home. So I think that the clans of the quadrant of the pillar don't live there. They pass through. For some nomads, they may just rotate through the quadrant's diamond of systems, picking up food here, trading a bit there, building contacts and networks of allies they can draw upon, wherever they may be when they find themselves in need of aid. But the older the clan, the more the wanderlust has them. Some make their nomadic living, journeying through two or more of the established routes, through the Miran chain and the quadrant maybe, or the Algol route and the Debaran circle. But only the most ancient, earliest clans, like the Awal or Akdam clans, Traverse the entire horizon, like in the good old days, in an elaborate route called the Altai Mirror. The route starts, traverses once, and then ends in Altai. It passes round the quadrant of the pillar, odicon and the Miran chain, before rounding the Debaran circle along the Kaf link to Melik, past the Baran and Kua, to traverse Altai again before turning to Namada and the Algol route. From there, the route returns to Altai to start the entire journey again. It has been known that some are born, live their lives, and die before the Awal and Akadam swarms have made even one single circuit. Over the years, the nomad folk of the Third Horizon have been systematically discriminated against by the First Come and then the Zenithians, and now both, discriminated against and denied access to rich territory and fertile lands. And I think this is the real reason the Nomad Federation came into existence at all. Cast out, these, in the first instance, small bands, desperately scratched a living from whatever they could find, and survived by little more than their resilience and determination. They would come across other bands like themselves in their wandering. Occasionally they would gang together, but more frequently they would clash over some resource or another and fight. Sometimes these turned into murderous battles that saw many dead. At other times the conflict petered out when both sides had weakened one another so much that they had no choice but to join forces with their erstwhile enemies, or both lose the so-called prize they had killed and died for. And here you find the origin of the blood feuds and vendettas that plague the Nomad Federation to this day. Impossible to forget, but destructive to all they touch, should they be allowed to fester. With such a wide and diverse community, it's no surprise that many nomad clans fell into their own evolved dialects. Over the years, this became so severe that some clans could no longer understand one another. To resolve this, the old leaders started to teach an ancient form of body language that allows those with the learning to say a few phrases through an intricate but highly disguised array of head nods, hand movements, and eye contact. It is the height of respect to greet one who is a peer, and the expectation, when greeting one who is senior, to use this language to welcome them, saying, Secrets of the void be with you, my friend. To maintain any kind of stability, and have any hope of cross-faction respect being given and received, the Nomad Federation, in its earliest days, started to build a rigid class structure within it. Wherever you were, whatever you did, if you were a nomad of a certain status, you outranked, or were junior to, any other nomad, no matter who they were or where they came from. Naturally, some clans have a higher reputational status than others, and some swarms are bigger and more powerful. But in the eyes of the nomads, that didn't matter. Your caste matters more. At the bottom of this culture, you have the douloi, little better than slaves, but still nomads. The douloi do what they are told, on pain of severe punishment, and have little or no freedom to decide anything for themselves. However, in the nomad culture, it is the responsibility of the elders and betters to look after and provide for them. It's a poor nomad who mistreats a faithful douloi. And the Duloi are not prevented from advancement. A loyal slave with a long history of contributing to the good of her swarm or clan can hope for promotion to the next caste upwards. The wide community of trusted nomads, known as Anosia, The vast majority of the Nomad Federation are just this. Free people living as part of the clans. They live aboard ships that form a swarm, such as the great Kyber swarm that originated in Algol but there are many smaller swarms too, of as few as five or six vessels. Each vessel's captain is titled Asabari, and this is the third caste within the Federation. Elevation to this level confers the right to be addressed as Asabari, and not only implies, and indeed requires, the command of a vessel, but also gives a seat on the swarm's council. No matter how great or how minor your ship, If you are admitted to the swarm as a captain of your vessel, you become Asabari. The best of all the Asabari in the swarm is appointed, usually by election in council, so only the Asabari captains get to vote, or by right of might or influence, to lead the swarm and take the title of Padishah. This exalted level confers many privileges and responsibilities and brings a formal, personal responsibility to protect the Nomad Federation as a whole, and not just their swarm or clan. Naturally, human nature being what it is, some are more attentive of this responsibility than others. There is no one great leader of the Nomad Federation, and many of the older or more powerful Padashah leaders have taken unkindly to Abiyaya Gohashud's self-appointment to the position of Nomad Federation spokeswoman on Coriolis such delusions of grandeur do not sit well with the well-grounded nomads and they sneer at her pretensions while muttering that if she wishes to anchor herself to coriolis in a way that's abhorrent to any true nomad then so be it
0: well long-term listeners will recognize that this is our second look at the nomads in general and we're getting a bit more specific here and this time we've actually written something down so Dave, when you put this on your blog, mm-hmm. we'll have to tell Nicholas, and he can add it to his index of our um, our looks at various um, nomads. Ah, um, yes. But it's yeah. great. I, you know, last time we talked about it, what our conclusion, our overall conclusion was that the nomads are a perfect sandbox. That if you want to do anything that's a yeah. little bit different from the, if you like, you know, the accepted Coriolis law. Then you can find a group of nomads somewhere in the third horizon who are doing that thing and behaving that sort of way. You can have wars. You can have um, diplomacy. Diplomacy. You can have all sorts of stuff involving the nomads that you know doesn't necessarily impact on the wider horizon, but could do. You know they are, as you say, powerful mm. enough when they get together to be the biggest fleet in the horizon and they could be if they weren't spending so much time squabbling amongst themselves a major political force and you know maybe maybe that's what they will become no spoilers here though hmm. um so yeah i love all that and you know we we we've just started playing your campaign and some of your research has come out of the fact that we all said as players that we wanted to be nomads um yeah so and this is this is all great Um, I just wanted to ask you whether this fits in with some of the hints that we've been getting in Mercy of the Icons that the nomads, or at least the mogul nomads claim to have come from the second horizon. And I'm not sure whether they're saying this Mm. is via portals or whether they came, if you like, the long way round from the second horizon. Mm, Yeah, Um, And... On hearing this, I think my my yeah, first okay. impression is there's nothing you've said that would contradict that. That that could all work. No, and that's that's quite
1: good because obviously not having sight of those books, I am um, not yeah. aware of that little bit of background. But I, but I think the the, you know, the basic premise um, what I, that I am saying is in their history, the reason they became nomads is because of the discrimination and the um, the, the, the problems they faced. And so they mm. just moved on and over the over the eons they that became their way of life and they still suffered uh, in discrimination when they reached the third horizon so again this way of life just became a uh, you know this a stand the standard for them that they, they they never stayed in any one place for, for very long um, because you know historically that had been been not been the best way to to um, to, to manage themselves the one thing i didn't get into was why are people you know discriminating against them and i haven't looked into that so um it might be that they you know yeah. as they just turn up they're kind of unwelcome visitors on somebody mm. else's patch and so therefore you know they they, they get a you know a well, yeah. sour welcome now there's but, of course um, there's
0: a there's a lovely little um oh, echo of their story in the Order of the Pariah as well, who are also effectively refugees or outcasts from the second horizon in their law. Mm. And, um, you know, the nomads... So we, we we talked about this when we talked about the, um, the Order of the Pariah, that maybe they know too much and what they know scares people. Of course, the nomads mm. say, we know the secrets of the void. So maybe there's a feeling with them yeah. that they know too much and what they know isn't stuff that any right thinking person wants to know about the ultimate fate of, um, the the people who try and ply their trade in the darkness between the stars. Maybe, maybe what they know literally just scares people. And that makes them outcasts. (laughs) Interesting. I just had a
1: thought. So there's a, there's a really good movie called it follows. If anybody's seen it, I know of it. I don't think I've seen it. Um, It's brilliant. It's a great, great horror movie and I absolutely recommend if you haven't seen it, see it. Um, But the premise in that, which is uh, basically for various reasons, this evil spirit will follow somebody. And I just thought uh, maybe the thing thing that the, the nomads know is that if you stay in one place for too long, the darkness of the stars begins to sort of gravitate towards you and it draws the evil of uh, you know, all the bad karma mm. in your direction. So actually, how do you dispel that? Then. You keep moving. Yeah. And every time you move on, that dissipates and then it builds up again as you're moving somewhere else. But they're doing that to constantly stay away from the evil that gathers from the darkness between the stars in the uh, in the event that you don't move. Yeah, that
0: is right? lovely. And also yeah. then the, that creates a kind of a, a tension between... Nomads who do keep properly and morally on the move, and nomads who try and mm. settle into other first-come and now Zenithian structures and hang around in one place. Those, those nomads hanging around in one place are kind of morally, you know, not doing the right thing, aren't they?
1: They're they're, they're just well, yeah, and almost. I think the other nomads might then not class yeah. them as nomads anymore because if you're if you live in one you're place, you're not a nomad. You're not a nomad. <laughs> yeah, you're. <laughs> So I think that's an interesting thing. I think for me that the the opportunity with the Nemed Federation is to have a faction that is totally different mm. from all the others because it shouldn't have any territory that it considers to be sovereign. So I, I you know, I thought yeah, it's that an was,
0: interesting contradiction there did, in the law, isn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, um, and they they shouldn't be in any one place at any one time, and they shouldn't be sitting on their asses in Coriolis looking for political power. And I think that they the power they bring is just that kind of latent power of you know, this dispersed... Uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? You know, the, the potential of the power that they could leverage if they weren't dispersed is yeah. always sitting there. But it's it's never being gathered as one, one force in one place, which is kind of few for the consortium and the legion you know let leave them travelling around the, the horizon let them get on with it that's fine off you go guys because then they're not a political or military threat um and i think in that sense it gives a really nice different feel to to the to the faction as a whole because i really like the idea that they're constantly travelling yes. and you know and that might, that might be great in one sense for a campaign because you 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 move your group of nomads Around the horizon, and it doesn't mean they're stuck on that. They can, they can obviously go and do other things. They might get ahead of their swarm or get yes, yeah, behind their don't swarm need to or take a detour all the time. But they, but they still come back to that swarm because that swarm is taking a certain route in a certain direction. And I, I really like that. I think that really hits the the, the nomad feel right on the head.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what it does say. I I, I accuse them of squabbling amongst themselves, and that's why they couldn't get together enough to um, be a big impact on the horizon but actually you know what we've just discussed this idea that maybe the moral thing is to keep moving you know you could extend that into and also you know if you gather too many nomads together in one place then again they bring all the darkness and the stars that's been congregating around each of them gets drawn into that big thing and so maybe it's moral to keep apart and not together um, yeah in, in the nomad viewpoint yeah. And the uh, the uh, the consortium might think they're lucky that they don't do that, and might despise the nomads for um for the, uh, for not getting their act together. But actually, the nomad point of view is you know we're saving ourselves and frankly you guys a lot of heartache if we get together. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm loving that. And as you yeah. say, the beauty of the mm-hmm. nomads is everything you've written, even though you haven't seen some of the stuff in Emissary Lost Part 1 and 2, it fits perfectly.
1: Nope.
0: Mm, cool. Yeah. That was lucky. Is <laughs> yeah, that a nice segue good. to talk yeah, about I Emissary Lost?
1: <laughs> oh, you are the segue king today, Matt. You really are. That was... Yeah, Um. I know we're on a podcast, so you can't see me. I'm bowing to your segue You are not
0: worthy. I am, I am
1: unworthy. I am unworthy. You, you could do segues from now on forever.
0: I am unworthy. I could never do a segway. as good as Ah, me. that's great to hear. Ah, that's why anyway. I'm the best segway Se- <laughs> I've mean, actually ridden a segway, yeah. um, I- of course, um, so I don't know whether I'm any good on one of those. Keeping your balance might be dreadful. Um... <laughs> But yeah, no. we do have now the interview yes. we recorded uh, well over a week ago now, I think, actually. Or was it last week? I
1: can't remember. It just, was just, just over a week ago, wasn't it? It was, what, nine, seven, eight
0: days ago? No, it's eight Friday. And we recorded it on a Friday. Yeah. So it's exactly a week ago. Did yeah. you record it? Oh, we did. We recorded this right. interview a week ago. So Shall it's... we listen to it? Oh, no. Actually, you're going to leave and say goodbye halfway through the interview. But then, since then, we've remembered that we're not going to see or uh, 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 our listeners are only going to hear Destroyer of Worlds between now and uh, the festivities of various sorts. So you're going to wish everybody um, happy holidays, I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes.
1: Um, yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody, this year. It's been brilliant as ever. Thanks for your support. Um, have a wonderful Christmas, have a great new year and here's to 2021 being a lot more a lot calmer and a lot better for us all
0: and um, maybe some more face-to-face games. that would
1: that would not go amiss but yeah, with that said um, let's go straight to the interview with the lovely Ricard
0: we've got a very special players in the hammam. it's not players in the hammam. it's a creator in the hammam now and it's Ricard and Troya.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome.
0: Now, the last time Dave and I uh, talked with you, we were—it was pre-COVID. It was two years pre-COVID. It was yes. coming up to Christmas a couple of years ago, and we were actually in Sweden, all huddled around what was then effectively the corporate offices of Free League. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, it were, was a
1: pub. So that that's pub. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the best office there is. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Um, and so uh, we may have asked you this question then Ricard but we probably didn't give you time for a full answer and we ask all our guests to tell us about their life in gaming how did you start playing particularly RPGs and where did that take you up until the point that it's taken you to starring Mm. on this show because this is the highlight of your career this is the pinnacle obviously yeah once <laughs> you can't go further. What? <laughs> once you here, all right, right, right.
2: That's that's how it works. Okay, <clears throat> once you're in the hammam, mo- then then that's the pinnacle. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm like I think like um, most people who stuck to role playing games in Sweden um, actually grew up um, during the eighties and early nineties and um, had um, older older siblings. Uh, who Mm -hmm. bought role-playing games. And it was uh, either Mutant, or it was uh, uh, Dracarodemoner, or someone of these kind of... It's either fantasy or post-apocalyptic. That's essentially Mm. how it starts. So I have a four-year-old brother who started with with these games. And um, I was the annoying little brother kind of just butting in um, and uh, embarrassing him. Uh, And then uh, I did that for few years and then i picked up the swedish transla- translation of western games star wars
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and that hooked me because i was a major star wars fan uh so that hooked me hooked me big time so i think that was what actually got me into uh, gming and mm. uh i pestered all my friends with it uh for four years as i grew up and uh, we played uh, predominantly that and um this um, cyberpunk version of uh, mutant that uh, also mm. existed. the black box—it's referred to. Oh, as, cool. Um, also the Swedish version, um, and I did that until uh, some of my role-playing friends started thinking that they should grow up, and <laughs> and and you know got rid of all their comics and and stopped playing role-playing games and and stopped reading the interesting fiction. And stuff like that. So I lost a few, but I found new ones. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, joined like gaming clubs, on univer- like university gaming clubs when I was like four years away from, uh, you know, even attending university. Going to university. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I did that. And I uh, actually ran into a few people who already then uh, wrote role-playing games. So I have, um, there is a Swedish uh, fantasy game called Aeon. And uh, I met uh, uh, one of my friends is uh, a guy. Uh, his name is Christer uh, Sundelin. Uh, yeah. He, he he makes a bunch of games here in Sweden, and I think he's now he's currently running the troubleshooters. Trouble, yeah.
1: We mm-hmm. interviewed Christer yeah. a few a couple of months ago. Yeah, it was great to Yeah. Chat yeah.
2: yeah. yeah so, so I think I figured that you could actually write for role playing games. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: you know, by, by, because we tested his stuff all the time. Um. So we did that for a long while and actually didn't play any regular games. We played his stuff for for a couple of years. Um, And then I grew up, had to, you know, uh, move, uh, study, uh, start work and all of that stuff. And eventually I ended up in the, um, and I had a long kind of um, pause from Mm role-playing games. We tried to keep it up, but we were spread, like all the friends, we were spread out. We tried to have this like uh, once per month, everyone went to a city and then we had a weekend of gaming. Uh, We tried to hold that up for a year, I think, and then that failed as well. Mm -hmm. But then I started, uh, so my my day job is uh, computer games uh, and have been for many years now. And um, turns out there is a lot of role playing game nerds in (laughs) the computer computer
0: game game. (laughs) industry.
2: For some weird reason, I also think the only reason I got the job was actually because all of this kind of experience I had coming out of role playing games, making maps, trying to kind of figure out narratives, all of that stuff kind of just led me into that industry instead cool and so so that kind of reignited everything in um uh, and I started playing um uh a bunch of different games. So, like, we played uh, One Ring and, uh, and some some other stuff along the way. Never kind of dwelled too deeply into D&D, but uh, uh, played it for a while. Um, and then at some point, um, let's see when that... like I think M- Mutant Year Zero came out, and I was a little bit intrigued by it, but I never kind of figured out how to play it. Because it was like, so there are markers and cards and and stuff like that. Mm. And it was like, it was very close to board game for me. And that wasn't how I had played role-playing games before. So I kind of let it be for a while. I had the same experience around the same time. I I had a look at um, Mouse Guard and I was like, Mm. what? It's super narrative. (laughs) And I don't understand how I'm going to play this the way I usually play role-playing games. Uh, so I also kind of put that on the shelf as well uh, mm-hmm. for, a, for a while. And instead, I dove straight into Shadowrun. <laughs> and I bought all the books right. and I kind of, you know, you know, figured out the rules and kind of went with it. And then I had like prepped for months and had my first adventure with my, with my, with my crew. And it just didn't feel good at all. Okay. We had this combat session, and then when we that lasted for hours and hours, and then when we figured out how much time had passed in the actual game, it was like ten seconds,
1: or something. <laughs> yeah, and I was like,
2: yeah. I, I, so I, I actually, um, you know, hit the wall a bit uh, with that one. And I just put all of that in the shelf, and then I started hmm. kind of leafing through Mutant Year Zero, and I started leafing through Mouse Guard, and I started like huh, this board game stuff and these narrative things and these mm. things. Like, maybe I can actually GM in another way. So I think that, that, that actually took me to a point where I started um, investigating these kind of smaller games, mm. not the kind of traditional rule sets. Um, and um, around that time was when the Kickstarter for, uh, for Tales from the Loop came out that, mm. that, that fall. And I got hooked big time because I'm a I'm, I'm a huge fan of Simon's mm. um, paintings, yeah. um, and his his mind I think uh, <laughs> to a certain degree the nostalgia <laughs> of that.
1: Mm, yeah. So
2: um, so I dove into Tales from the Loop and the Alpha, and then I started uh, I built a campaign around testing it. I started kind of making. Stuff for my own GM screen and started pestering Free League a lot. Like, <laughs> wait, that's like the stalking level of, <laughs> of pestering, I think. <clears throat> uh, started sending them stuff, started sending them reports, started sending them rule edits, a whole bunch of those things. And eventually, I think, uh, in the new year, they, they said, um, How about you, you uh, work for us instead? Uh, keep your enemies close. I don't know. Um, but yeah, um, so that was fun. I got to actually kind of wrap up uh, Tales from the Loop mm. together with um, Niels Hinze and kind of uh, look at the structure for that and everything. And so then I started getting hooked into the other side of it, kind of the construction side of it. And um, I think it was like one or two months after that, that um, Costa approached me and uh, said, uh, well, we have a project for you that we think you, you could do. You could, uh, could you be the editor of um, uh, Mercy of the Icons 1? Mm. This campaign that has been kind of drifting in the yeah. darkness between the stars for ages and ages and ages. <laughs> um, would you want to kind of have a look at that? Uh, so I picked that old material up, went through it, and uh, here I am. No, <laughs> oh, but it's like I, I essentially fell in love with Coriolis. Uh, Costa actually GM'd my, me and my uh, group after I pestered him for a while on a, a role-playing convention uh, in Gothenburg here in Sweden. And after that, I was like, okay, this is this is a this is a really fun game. This is a really mm-hmm. great way to do sci-fi. So I got mm-hmm. hooked in that because I'm, I'm generally in movies in everything. I I. I uh, both for when it comes to fantasy and sci-fi, I'm a bit allergic to certain tropes and and um, <laughs> uh, kind of the chrome chrome version of sci-fi or uh, things like that. Um, I don't really like it. I think it needs to be something that has a human aspect to it. And if it goes too far away from that, if it strays, then it's not interesting anymore. Mm, the same yeah. with fantasy if it, it if it doesn 't have the a good motivation to why I do these things and and a good blend of how the characters inter, interact then it's not then it 's not fun for me uh, and for me, Coriolis was a perfect mm. kind of um sci fi blend to mm. uh, to dive into so,
1: so when that's were, why i 'm here yeah. so so you were picking up mostly of the icons um the th- there's a lot of stuff going before that, wasn't there? I mean, so you were bringing together, as you said, this this whole campaign that had been hiding in the darkness between the stars for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you have a similar thing with the last Cyclade without going into any spoilers? Obviously because I don't want to hear the spoilers. Or was, uh... this a, was this a blank page for you to take the campaign forward from there on?
2: It, it kind of was actually, that was nice. I had uh, There were some scribbled notes of where um, Jan Ringen, uh, who, who used to kind of have the uh, who, who is now Free League. Yeah. Um, but the, 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 there were some notes on where they wanted to go uh, a little bit. And there was some kind of general concepts of where they wanted to go. Um, but Free League gave me very kind of free hands to to, to develop it uh, the way mm-hmm. I wanted. Um, so I, I have, there are aspects of, of that old proposal, that old synopsis is kind of in there uh, still. Uh, but only as more of a fuel for for what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, uh, and there are a few scenes from that synopsis that I still want to do. That still kind of is going to show up in <laughs> uh, most, likely the, um, most actually, likely the third part.
0: Most likely <laughs> the third part.
2: Most likely the third part. Yes. Are you suggesting
0: yeah. there's a fourth part on its way? No. <laughs>
2: we'll see if I use it. But uh, but I, there are some cool stuff that I really would, would like to um, cool. um, hit hit the players in the head with. So so I think <laughs> that could be a fun fun thing. Uh, no, so so uh, to put it shortly, I, I would say like Mer- Mercy One was um, a bunch of different authors had kind of worked with the material over a few years. Uh, so there was a blend of many things. When I yeah. went in and edited it, I kind of uh, tried to clean it up and just try to make it sense, but also kind of planned plot lines and, and also attached it. We uh, actually attached it to Gasalis as well. So when that was published, remade and published, we actually integrated it so that it had uh, hooks into uh, Mercy. Icons.
0: Right. Ah, now, this is very interesting because... Mm-hmm. We've just been playing this one of our patrons Millie's been running the game with the Red Spider network I'm the cameraman um, and <laughs> just just this morning finished yep. uh, Rosalie and um, um and particularly uh, she read out quite a lot a long bit of box text which she said you know she doesn't normally read out box text but this important sort of dream that she had yep. again I'm being very careful here not to describe it too much. <laughs> not to and I thought, spoil anything. They but that in Ghazali. So he knew in Ghazali what was going to be happening in part yeah. two of Mercy of the Icons. Yeah. That blew us we, away. <laughs> yeah.
2: That, that was, so I planted stuff in Ghazali's uh, both when it comes to the thing you are after. Yeah.
0: I'm not. When, let's ignore that thing. Forget that.
2: And, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and maybe there is a dream. Yeah, <laughs> and both of those are uh, I- intimately hooked to to the campaign. Um, but I'm thinking also it's a little bit like um, su- su- um, I saw an interview with Neil Gaiman at some point, and he said that mm. when he when he had done Sandman, he had done a pretty cool thing. He didn't know if he would do or get to do all of the episodes, but in the first very first. Uh, issue, kind of the very f- first comic. Uh, Sandman has, Morpheus has a chest and in that chest there is just these tokens, these things from his all of his adventures, all of his travels all, like it's a box of memories mm. and what uh, Gaiman did was uh, uh, he, um, he in- instructed the artist, it's like here's a list, I have a list of 50 things, like mm. an eye with golden you know a golden frame or whatever it's mm. like a bottle of wine whatever and he just I made haven't. a list of 50 yeah 50 <laughs> items and then he said like i'll try to use them so he was tried to be as varied as possible and then he uh, weaved them into into the stories uh, later mm. uh, but that issue was already published so he had to kind of come up with that later and i it's a similar thing here i knew kind of where it should go So um, there are a few things that was kind of weaved in that Mm. I knew that would be easy to kind of pick up on and just kind of elaborate. And they could go in multiple directions Mm. uh, with ease if I needed it to. So I think, (laughs) uh, so yeah, that was cool actually too because that was at the very last minute as well. It was like Gasalis was ready to get printed and I was going in telling uh, Christian uh, who lay out the, the piece at that <laughs> time and um, managed it. I was like, can I just add this text and this text <laughs> really quickly? Finding okay? half a page. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> can I imagine you the look on his face? That. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really happy we did that. That, that yeah. was actually super, super good to connect those.
0: That's cool. Um, uh, we touched a little bit on working with layout artists uh, and artists, of course. Now, something that Dave hasn't seen, but I this isn't spoilery. Uh the art in 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 this book. copy. Yeah this the art in here is lovely. Um mm-hmm. now we also know that the artist, Martin Grip, is lovely, or at least one of the artists, I should say. We've yeah. met him as well. Um but uh I I wanted to ask you about your sort of process in working with the other creatives in the book. Particularly the artists, of course, but um, but all of them like flight layouts and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, um, layout comes in super late, so that's actually mm-hmm. where I leave it to them to kind of start fiddling with it, and then I just become the annoying, you know, I correct stuff at the end, and then eventually they will have to just mute me and uh, <laughs> uh, and you know print it at yeah. some point. But I had a very good, um, uh, so one of the other artists is uh, Gustav um, Mm. Eklund, I
0: think, Mm, right? Yeah. He did a lot of the kind of icons.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he does that. He did the icons. He did a lot of the location uh, shots Mm. um, uh, Mm. that you have in there, uh, ships and and stuff like Mm. that. And Martin worked a lot with the kind of um, act, uh, the kind of the full page uh, Mm. stuff. Uh, pretty much, and Gustav also did uh, b- uh, the um, characters. Mm. Uh, so me and Gustav, I think, had a, kind of the most, the closest relationship when it came to mm. this. Um, and I, I, I maybe not that. Like when I give directions to to an artist, I may uh, exaggerate with the uh, reference images from from my different Pinterest walls. Mm. Um, <laughs> But I think it's, uh, uh, I mean, I, I go into super detail, and then in the end, he might do something that is like more more kind of uh, lax, kind of uh, have, have more distance to the target. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's fine. I think it's it's the important part is just to get across like what what this really is um, that he's trying to uh, to capture in the end. Um, but that was a good, that was a good, rel- like I'm so... This is one of the most beautiful things, actually, with writing, uh, I think. This is one of the things I love the most, is that you sit in that boring kind of G-doc for ages, and it's just text and text and text and headlines, and and sometimes you get to read some cool kind of uh, descriptive, quoted texts that you fall in love with, (laughs) etc., uh, and you write the characters and you think about how they should be and behave and, and, you know, look and all of that stuff. And, and I have quite extensive documentation on like how do all the ships look, like, mm. uh, you know, uh, first come Zenithian designs and it's like how do they blend in the Legion? How do they, like, all of these different mm. influences. So, in my, so like for me to not mess up uh, from my end, I have a, a long kind of list of kind of just how, how all of these uh, intersects. Um, uh, I also have all the names of all the Sinithian families, even though not all of them have been introduced into the campaign or into the game fully. So I know hmm. where everyone went, which factions they split into, all of that stuff. Hmm. Um, hmm. But that also helped me when I uh, spoke to Gustav, because then I could kind of like, it's a, it's a legion ship, so it needs to go in this direction, it needs to have these... Markings, do, 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 do. Uh, so it's it's been it's been super helpful. But the cool thing is, uh, eventually, when we start getting to that point where it's time to just uh, uh, get this thing printed, then all the drawings starts coming in, mm. and and you sit there with the boring text, hmm. and then you get I, I get this the new new energy when the, the drawings comes in because that's someone else's mind the creative mind going kind of going nuts with what i have written and Mm -hmm. there is a really cool feedback loop in getting that back that then you you kind of inform yourself about the piece that you have done through someone else's eyes and that is i think the first moment where that actually happens Uh, the Mm -hmm. kind of the second stage of that is when when anyone kind of uh, you know when people started getting the beta pdf and you know seeing the response on 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 uh, Uh, Facebook pages and um, Mm. uh, communities, etc. But that first Mm. interaction with the illustrator is super important, actually, to just get the energy to publish, I think, for me. Um, It's super important. Mm. Uh, But energizing. Mm -hmm. What was the the question?
0: No, (laughs) 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 I I was just giving Dave a bit of a pause. Um, Dave, I wondered whether you wanted to ask your writing question now.
1: Yeah, well, I was just going to ask... Um, I mean, it's quite interesting hearing you saying all that stuff about the artwork. Because... Um, uh, yeah, because it's just, it's just brilliant. You know, when you get to see the, the artwork coming through, then it, it just takes a whole new life, doesn't it? But I think my, my, my question was, as, as someone who's, who's sort of worked their way into the, the position that you have as... Um, you know, writing all this great stuff and, and, and working in the gaming, in, in the RPG industry, are there any tips or hints? You'd give to somebody, you know, an aspiring writer, someone who's, uh, who's just at the start of that journey and wants to break in. For,
2: for the writing specifically or, yeah. or just to get into, in, get into it, kind of?
1: I think for writing. Um, I think if there, Is there anything that you would, any lessons that you've learned over the last few years? Apart from be a stalker to a company that you love, obviously. <laughs> I think, <laughs> you don't. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's worked for both um, of us. <clears throat>
2: Uh, I I think the major part is probably that I kind of enjoy. So uh, for me, it's about setting scenes or creating places more than anything. I'm quite happy with my, like when when players uh, and GMs get a hold of my product, they can modify it like crazy. But what I strive for is to expand the universe in everything I do, I think. That's mm-hmm. kind of my my goal. It should be about. It should be about either presenting something about culture or about people or about conflicts or about locations. Everything is just a narrative for that, um, at all times, <laughs> for me. Uh, so I'm trying to even in a very linear linear game uh, like his, um, adventure. Uh, the purpose of it is often to focus the lens on, on a certain conflict or something like that. Um, mm. And there needs to be uh, I think something that I want to take with me to Mercy 3 is to be even wider with player choice. I think we try right. to allow some player choice in, in Mercy 2 but um, or a bunch of it. But I would want to go further with that. Like more mm. sandbox. yeah, Almost to a certain to a certain degree. Um. um, What else? I think, and and one thing is that it's gonna get so boring sometimes, right? (laughs) I think, I think, I think, to a certain degree, it's worth having these quotation texts. For me, that helps a lot. Like to Mm. describe something from the eyes of someone who is in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and and it's almost like I'm writing for myself as a player, not the, not for the GM anymore. Yeah uh, it, it will become a tool for the GM if they want to use it. but I think it, it's nice when you write something. You write so much about the whole the details, the background, everything that the tool were like the tools that the, the GM is going to use, uh, that sometimes you need to just find a, a space for yourself to also enjoy the product and the text as a player.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: so, uh, so I try to do that quite a lot as well. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. And, I think that's really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of similar. I think it's, you know, when you're writing stuff, it can get, it can get very boring. But as you say, if you take yourself a moment to, to look at it from the player's eyes and just even write a very short paragraph. Um, yeah. Re- and I mean, it, it if like, evokes a just... feeling that you want to evoke in that particular scene or that location. Yeah. Yeah, that's that like really
2: what's helps. what's actually exciting about this space. What makes it mm-hmm. a little bit like? Why would I want to go here as a tourist? Or you know, it's mm-hmm. like yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. I mean, <laughs> essentially, like if 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 you find if images or if you find a place that you would want to recreate uh, from 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 our world, or, um, it's like how can I make a twist on it to make this really spectacular or something that's eye-opening or or mm. um exciting to explore kind of I think yeah. I think that's uh it's part of it uh, and then you were mm. you were you were onto something there with just you have to also just write a few words it's like even a boring yeah. day I, yeah. I I pushed I pushed myself I had like flow sometimes but sometimes I just had like I need to write uh, a full event.
1: If it's rubbish, uh, if you just go before back. Before going,
2: but, yeah. But, but, you know, just you know. <laughs> but before going to work in the morning, I have to write one event, and then mm. in the evening I write another event, and then <laughs> eventually I'll write a scene. And yeah, you know, yeah. It's like just forcing yourself to to write those paragraphs. Uh, it's also <laughs> important, I think.
0: Which uh, actually it brings me on to Correct. another question I wanted to ask earlier, I and mean, I'm i forgot but i want to ask it now so you work you have a you have a proper job that that, that gives you the money you need to eat and stuff like that uh yep. then then there's the writing yep. do you still get time how do you, how do you divide your life up now your or your leisure hours between writing for free league playing games and do you Ever have any time for friends and family and a social life and all that sort of stuff? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I, I cut down on playing computer games. I cut down on, uh, uh, I don't play role playing games as often currently. I, I, mm. That's kind of goes up and down.
1: Mm. Um,
2: but when now, when I had a in kind of intensive period of writing, then I haven't played that much. So I, I actually look forward to playing a little bit more for a while and mm. then kind of going back. Um, but it goes well i mean i don't have kids currently so so that also allows me to to put some more more time into it uh mm. it's also very fun uh so mm. i writing or going through rules or sitting kind of in the evenings it gives me a lot of energy which means that it doesn't kind of tire me out it's actually something that i want to i can step off of my kind of day mm. day job and do this for a while and it's energizing instead
1: um, it's, it's funny my wife often um, sort of complains that I'm working on my computer because I can set up in the corner of the living room when she's watching mm. some rubbish, rubbish television and it might be you know 11 o'clock on a Saturday or something and I'm still typing away doing some stuff that I'm really enjoying because mm. you know if I wasn't you know I, okay I'm not working for it very much at the moment but um, you know i would be doing it for fun if I wasn't mm. doing it for other reasons anyway mm. um, right, exactly so it's uh, yeah it's, it's, it's nice um,
0: I, th- I think yeah, my, was... yeah. I, mean, fun, I, I think that
2: was yeah. I think you you should do it for fun. I think yes. I think mm. if it's not your main job, you should have, like even your main job, you should actually try to do for fun. But I mean, it's not always possible. <laughs> no. um, but but definitely, if you do it as kind of a hobby, you it should be for fun. But yeah. that doesn't mean you shouldn't push yourself. I think that still means that sometimes you. It's a bit tiring and, uh, and, and, and it's okay, can be, because yeah. that's a hurdle, right? And if you get over that hurdle and deliver something that you're really happy with on the other side, then you have achieved something. You've taken another step. So I think it's still important to, to push yourself a little bit in those circumstances mm. as well, set up goals for yourself, essentially.
1: Good advice.
0: So are you already stuck into book three?
2: I am, uh, I am in book three. Yes, in my head I'm definitely, and in my on my keyboard and my documents that I have here on my screen <laughs> currently, I'm kind of in in three. I'm I'm in both. I'm in two places currently. I'm in Tales from the Loop, the board game, mm-hmm. mm. uh, looking at scenarios and been working with Martin uh, on uh, rules and things like that. Mm. So that's one of the things. And that was actually just a passion thing. I was like, I started out helping out a little, and then. I did the, what I usually do, kind of bullying myself into it and <laughs> claiming that I know stuff about it and then uh, trying to edge myself into a position where I can uh, influence the product. Mm. So that I've been doing. And then it's Mercy 3. But I also mm. wanted to uh, give a little bit of a pause. Uh, we already had the kind of synopsis and everything mm. and uh, uh, we know where we want to go with it uh, even though... Uh, even before uh, the the PDFs were released um, but uh it's always fun to take a little bit of a pause and see how what what people react on mm-hmm. uh, also see what people are talking about or get excited about and what they kind of spin for the future what, uh, so I think i wanna i don't wanna uh, be be in a position where i'm not influenced. At all by that, I want to. Mm. There's a lot of cool ideas and, and interesting concepts that uh, the community brings to this table, and um, I want to make sure that those uh, s- get to seep in, just mm. like the hammam that you guys wrote in your podcast <laughs> and uh, or spoke about in your podcast, and then I uh, in, uh, put it in Mercy One uh, in the end, or a version of it in Mercy mm. One.
0: Yeah, Dave's just tried to beat up the owner of that hammam. <laughs> <laughs> I was exactly. so disappointed I, was, I thought I was, we're going to our place Dave I was, I, our was, place. I was getting angry because
1: everywhere I turned the people we wanted to talk to were ending up dead just before we got there and I was determined um, to find yeah. this guy and I didn't, didn't know where he was could be anywhere in there I didn't want to have to give up all my weapons and put a towel on to go and find her so I was like yeah. let me in so she stabbed me which yeah, un- understandable. Entirely, yeah, understandable. understandable entirely reasonable yeah <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah, it was good fun, very
0: uh, good fun. Uh, yeah, the, the next thing we have to work on, actually, um, uh, Thomas, my um, my my partner, and a uh, um, uh, sort of uh, in stop, in the stop, in start, the start the again. Najibul Ghazali, uh, Thomas, my the journalist, my boss, really, rather than partner, and and. Uh, we want to we want to try and get guest starring roles in Mercy Three. So uh, after Dave's gone, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk something. to you about that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. we just love That's not there. fair. So but it's interesting because, like, I, I was super excited when I heard that someone is going. We're, we're, we're going to play it from the perspective of the Red Spider, Yeah. Uh, mm. right? Because, so like, that is it's mentioned. It's like one of those footnotes in the texts, and I picked up on it because I. I thought like, really cool to have like, an, uh, um, a counterpart to the bulletin. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, I wanted to have the voice of, 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 of the Red Spider uh, um, part of Mercy 2. And then I just got super excited when I heard that you were going to play it like, <laughs> from that perspective, which, yeah, sounded really, really fun. But
0: well, it was brilliant because Thomas said, um, oh, we could be journalists. And I said, yeah, but not for the bulletin. <laughs> the dogs of the establishment. And then I yeah. went, hold on. No, I've just read a thing in the PDF of this book. We could be jealous of this other thing. Let me find it. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And
2: Way cooler. Way cooler. <laughs> Way cooler.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that's great. So, yeah, and Millie, the GM, thanks you very much for the red spiders.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very happy that, uh, that, you, that you brought that up. Actually,
0: yeah, you, so, you a little then. bit of a pause now and reflect on what the work you've done so far, see what the audience reaction is to this lovely book. Mm-hmm. There was quite a delay, it was felt, or I don't know whether it said delay. There was quite a long period of time between yeah. Mercy of the Icons and the Last Cyclade. So,
2: Emissary Lost and the Last Cyclade. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Is there gonna be that's not, the same that's not how it's going to
2: be. No, 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 no. No, we're gonna we're gonna release uh, part three next year. So that's the, that's what we're working towards.
0: About the um, same time next year, just just before Christmas,
2: bit. Yeah, I think so. I think that's usually the case because I'm probably gonna be done uh, right by summer somewhere, and um, it takes some time to go through the text and uh, mm-hmm. edit it uh, properly, and then illustrations and maps and everything. And um, for this one, I I. Um, uh, I do the maps for the most part. We got we got some help in this in this situation, but I think we we actually said that for for the third installment, I'm gonna do the maps fully. Okay. Uh, it's easier because I'm mm-hmm. kind of know what I have in my my head, kind of you know yeah, for the yeah. scenes and everything. And I developed a style that um, I stole from the uh, big blueprint illustration of the, from Gasalis, I think.
0: Um, oh
2: uh so and that i i think that blueprint map style works really well in coriolis so we're going to kind of going to keep use that cool um yeah so it, but it takes some time to get everything ready but I, I i imagine about the same time that we have for this one should should work
0: mm-hmm. excellent Cool. And are there any other Coriolis things you can mention or hint at coming out? For no, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm. It's like I'm referring <laughs> all of that to you know. Two probably Thomas has to be the one kind of talking about <laughs> that stuff. Maybe Nils, but he, and, and you can probably get a little more out of Nils than you can get out of Thomas. You always can get more <laughs> out of Nils. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: That's what we found, anyway, isn't
2: it? Henry. Dave. Uh, no, but I I can't really speak uh, as to that. Um, but I mean, I think the important part here is that the IP is um, is owned by Free League. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, and it's an it's a very exciting universe to work mm. working in. Uh, so yeah. So that's uh, but as usual, I don't think we're like any of us are gonna talk about a product before we see kind of where it's gonna. Um, yeah. Uh, be released. Kind of, yeah. Uh, kind of. so that's how cool. it's we start we start with Mercy 3 mm. making sure that that comes out uh making sure that that uh makes a splash in in mm. the universe and uh and then
1: Uh is that okay, is that a hint makes a splash somewhere wet then? Okay. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: You'll see. <laughs> right at this point, I kind of feel, uh, Dave, we should um, let you go if you're going to start
1: <laughs>
0: trying to wheedle other answers about what's happening in, in two. Yes,
1: uh, no, that's fair. That's fair. No, and
0: if you'll excuse us uh, for a moment, Ric- uh, Ricard, we've got to um, say goodbye to our audience as well. Uh, so the way we're going to do this is. We're going to end the podcast here, but if anybody wants to okay. hear the rest of the interview with Ricard, they'll have to wait until after the end credits of the podcast. So, because
1: uh, it's spoiler city.
0: Yes. If you don't want spoilers, then this is a perfectly adequate place to end the podcast.
1: And this is ideal. We can get Ricard to say our sign-off line, can't we? How oh, we can. Does What's Ricard
0: your sign-off know line?
1: No, and, and may the icons bless your adventures
0: so, so <laughs> it's, goodbye, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him
2: and may the icons
1: bless your adventures you have been listening to the Effect podcast presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods music stars on a black sea used with permission of Free League Publishing
0: Okay, so welcome those brave listeners who have returned for the second part of our creator in the Haman. And we've got with us uh the chap you met 20 minutes ago, uh Ricard Antoya, uh author of Mercy of the Icons Part Two, The Last Cyclade. And this is where we thought it would be good to talk about some of the ramifications of that epic storyline.
2: Trying to jam a little bit about what, what's what's going on in the Third Horizon,
0: and, yeah. and what, yes, and, and 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 how GMs exactly. could cope with this. So yeah. okay, so on on the social media and even you know among our patrons, those those that are in the know, there's been a, a great deal of excitement, definitely excitement either way. People are uh, <laughs> very excited about this cataclysmic ending. Can we say it even? I don't even know whether we can, but people who people who know know what we're talking about, the cataclysmic yeah. ending of that book. And some people are very excited about the possibilities unleashed. I'm definitely one of those, I have to say, so I'm going to have to rein myself in. And mm-hmm. I want to try and represent, first of all, the people that are concerned about what this means for for the um for the setting and i think there's a really interesting thing isn't there actually that i is actually a problem i think for a lot of role-playing settings and um if you think of legend of the five rings i don't know if you've ever had any experience of that but that mm. is one that has consistently changed every year they have competition the card game competition the winners of that kind of decide what happens in the verse and so changes are made that other people go oh no i can't i can't play that anymore i'm going to stick to third edition because <laughs> that's the version of rock i like um and there's a little bit of well how can you have coriolis the third horizon now yeah. after what happened yeah. in book 2
2: yeah there's so, a little bit of that but there's so
0: what do you say to reassure those guys those people
2: i think uh, for First of all, I um, um, I think people are a little bit worried that they 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 lose the sense of kind of um, exploration, uh, and that that's not. You don't have to worry about that, right? Because like Coriolis is is not just. Um, uh, the cua system it's 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 all of these systems it's always all been of the third
0: these horizon has it you
2: know yeah, yeah exactly it's like you you'll, you'll you'll travel and you'll see places and you'll you'll uh, you'll you know have goats on board your ship or whatever you know you'll, you'll you'll do all of that stuff i think that's fine and there's a lot of factions to to work with and to kind of have conflicts with and different uh, views and everything but i think there is like there are I guess two critiques um, that that uh, comes out of um, this one, and uh, one is, um, uh, of course, without trying to spoil it, there is a certain ambiguity to whether or not it can be called Coriolis. Um, mm. and I, um, I think because of this event that happens, it can it it continues to be Coriolis because uh, to a certain degree this becomes. A, uh, kind of uh, an, an event that scars like no one will. There is no one in the Third Horizon who will go, go kind of unaffected by it, and because of that, because of its connection to the Coriolis Space Station, um, it it will always be part of everyone uh, in this in the Third Horizon. So I think uh, I'm trying to. Talk around the subject. Yes. A bit here. <laughs> it's more
0: difficult than uh, I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, it, it is quite. You, it, you it, is, really it is well. quite difficult.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is quite difficult. But, um, but essentially, I think, um, uh, w- w- I mean, it's it's in the same sense that we can look at um, at history and 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 we can see we can be awed at things and we can we can see that things that have happened have uh, echoes into modern day, right? I think it's the same thing here. I think um, when when we set out on Mercy Two um, uh, and and this campaign, the 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 goal for me has always been that you keep hearing about the amazing stuff, right? As a player, as a GM, you read about these spectacular things that have happened, these alliances, these these uh, you know battles, these events, and and then you are you know, flying back and forth with information and doing your little thing in the universe. Mm. But what I felt that a a truly kind of great campaign should do is to take those people who are just the average Joes or whatever, you know, in this universe, and they should allow those characters to really um, experience uh, the equivalent of all those tales from from ancient times that Mm. they've heard of. So I think it's it's like it it becomes like a modern it's a modern myth kind of thing. It, it's, yeah. it's 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 um we're making sure that it's a full circle that you're kind of uh, experiencing something that you've only heard about uh, before. I think that's super important.
0: Experiencing um, and even participating,
2: definitely, and-, and making vital choices for the sake of the third horizon. And that brings me to
0: another thing that I've seen mentioned quite a bit by people who are more worried by the incident than others. And that is that their players might find themselves witnessing, at least if not participating in an act of mass murder. Yes. Now, I mean, this this always puzzles me because generally, role-playing gamers, as far as I can see, are the most murderous people I've ever met in my entire life. If if people <laughs> shot as many people in real life as they do in their role-playing games, then you,
2: st- you stab people in the throat. Occupation. Yeah, yeah, you stab people in the throat a lot, right? And <laughs> then uh, and, and just kill kill uh, uh, a couple each day, um, and then uh, no, but I, but I understand it though, and it was an interesting aspect of it. I was. I think when I set about to do this, I, the idea was that it should be shocking. Uh, but I hadn't—I had, I thought about it from a more of a perspective of like it's going to be shocking for the Third Horizon. It's going to be shocking to kind of see see whatever this is uh, kind of happening. Um, but it was interesting when people started pointing out that like they their their players might believe they're the good guys, and then suddenly they might be. Instigators, if not instigators, at least kind of help helping in in uh, eff- effectively kind of mass murder, um, and of course, uh, and they were worried about how that would affect uh, the the not not just the player characters, but the players themselves. Yeah. Uh, um, and um, uh, I also got a lot of comments about um, uh, so so. Player groups in Coriolis seem to be very, very, very varied. Like there very is diverse. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It is like complete Senithian, or the mixes, or like some have uh, mystics in them, some have no mystics, um, some are journalists, some are you know agents and and private uh, detectives, gun, gun <laughs> or whatever. You know, there's a lot of mix, and and that I think um, speaks to the strength of the of the game. Or uh, and the universe that you can be so diverse in how you want to kind of approach it. Uh, but it also means that um, you could effectively take part in killing your own family if that's a thing, for example, <laughs> uh, that could happen. Um, but there is a lot of I would say there is a lot of leeway in there um, for players to make a choice uh, whether or not they want to support this or not um, I think there is there's some time for the GMs to, to um, let their players act um, and they can lessen the blow but, but they can't uh, fix it uh, fully uh, and I think that's, that's also a crucial lesson I think because this is so big that the universe doesn't revolve completely around the characters so there needs to be plot lines and things going on, even when the players aren't actively partaking. There needs to be, like, if, if the players go to sleep, uh, there are still things going on. The yeah. the the world moves on, it's more like I the, think the the that's important in that regard. Exactly, yeah, that's it's the opposite of that, right? And and you kind of wanna, yeah, I, I I feel. I don't want to get in, into this like small bill or like everything revolves under I, I want it to feel like there are stuff that you can't really handle and that they're gonna happen regardless and you will try to fix it but you can't completely I think that's that's an aspect of uh, of this universe that you that I want people to experience um I, I think so, some of the GMs that got really excited about this was probably um, they were looking at it from the angle of like, Oh my God! Like I have a play group, uh, a group of players that actually uh, enjoy um, diving deep into their emotions and and being kind of kind of afflicted in in various ways. And for them, I think they saw a, a huge opportunity to uh, to splinter the group or to to let the group kind of uh, reevaluate everything they've learned uh, about uh, about life or the universe or the factions and and all of that stuff. I think that's where I would want this to go mm. I don't think any GM um, should uh, completely um, remove this um, uh, uh, this ending from from uh, their campaign I'm hoping they don't but I mean of course they can um, but I'm hoping they're like they they can they can adjust the blow uh, uh, of this uh, accordingly to what they think their players and their characters can handle
0: now, for me, I'm excited because um, it feels like a breath has been let out, that uh, th- the, an enormous amount of tension has gone. And it ca- comes from the very beginning. When I first read the book and mm. mention of the Taiwan incident was there and nobody knew anything about it. I mean, you did, and, and the guys at Free League did. But the mm. rest of us are going, "What? what's happening at Taiwan? And And you had this sort of, it felt a little bit like a universe in stasis where there's all these potential things. Mm. And a lot of people said, I don't want to start my campaign because I need to know the answers behind those. Now yep. I've always said, make up the answers yourself. Right? But yep. but now, now with this moment at the, the end of the second act or the end of, uh, shall we say the second book, the, the fourth act or fifth, sixth act, <laughs> uh, <laughs> actually that is license to say right this is the, the horizon is broken now it's entirely your play box you can do anything yeah. you want yeah. here because yeah. there are no rules from this point on yeah or I, and the,
2: I think the yeah and i think that's uh, this is an important part also this is kind of a um i would say this is kind of also the birth of the free leagues version of the Third Horizon, or or like, because there was an inherited lore and 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 inherited narrative uh, coming into this, and we had all of these factions, and we like we had all of these opposition and everything, and that's cool because you can kind of select people and like who do I want to work for, etc. Uh, but I think what this does, uh, and what what the goal for going from Mercy Two to Mercy Three was was to kind of um, splinter the horizon a bit, uh, shift the weight on some of the pieces uh, around, but also um, form alliances and, and um, uh, push people towards each other, pu- push factions towards, uh, towards each other. And I think a major part, without spoiling exactly what's going on, I, I would say that uh, what happens here essentially is that we are creating a uh, fewer factions we are letting factions merge we're letting factions uh, 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 kind of rip parts of them kind of go away from it from from the main line kind of the main part of the faction Uh, we're letting them evaluate their beliefs and their goals um and uh and 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 not uh, blindly follow the, the the pattern that was so there is a new pattern forming, but it hasn't formed yet. And I think that that is the interesting part. I think that's where the players come in, and where that's where the sandbox comes in. And now, now uh, after um, uh, the last Cyclade, the GM is and the the, play, uh, the group of players is actually quite free to explore this. Everyone is trying to look look around and see who is friend and foe now and and you're you're in the middle of that and trying to broker deals or you know mm. and uh, help help these different factions or hunt down strugglers or you know whoever what's going on and then and, and you have to kind of make up your mind about how all of this works again uh, and uh, and one thing that becomes very clear here is also that we wanted to instead of having all of the conflicts being about the third horizon we wanted to make sure that we are starting to put the pieces um on the board to see where you align with second horizon first horizon and third horizon because in the end that's like the triangle that yeah. um that this is about i think
0: and talking of that, actually uh, i think that's another thing i've seen a little bit on the social side that people are less certain of um and it's good that people are uncertain <laughs> and you know me, I'll, I'll talk in a shorthand that says, obviously, the Zenithian hegemony are evil, and so it's been <laughs> proved, and they've got their comeuppance. Yeah. Uh, but Honestly. other things we can always assume, we can assume that the First Horizon and al are pretty evil and corrupt. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, or, uh,
0: but I think <laughs> for a good chunk of, good chunk of the, uh, particularly of the first part of Mercy of the Icons, by the time you come to the end of that, um, so LOST you may be thinking that the guys in the Second Horizon are good guys. Yeah, and and maybe your opinion of that changes again without too many spoilers. Might might well change yeah. by the end of the second book. Yeah, and I think I don't know. I, I I get the impression there are some groups out there or GMs talking about groups out there that have pinned their hopes on the Second Horizon being the saviors.
2: That's maybe one of the letdowns, actually, for some uh, in the feedback also. That's like, but they were good. How can I live with this now? (laughs) Uh, And I've even got some, uh, you know, almost uh, threats where it's like, well, my players are going to join the first Horizon now. And I'm (laughs) like, yes, go ahead. (laughs) That's okay. You know. Dave, Um, Dave,
0: his very first character was in the Nazarene Sacrifice.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, they have a point. You know, Uh, so so I think um, uh, I'm trying to make sure that almost all factions should feel cool and exciting to look into, but none of them are truly good. That's what I'm trying trying for here. And I think in the end, you have to just decide who is good enough for you to follow or for you to believe in. but I think that's always going to come with a price in the end.
0: And I must admit, um, I I always felt factions in this game are different from, say, Vampire Clans in Vampire the Masquerade in that yeah. you don't need to attach yourself to a faction. I always felt the factions were like great wheels that were there simply to grind the players into yeah. dust. Yeah. And actually, you know, yes, you can cling to a faction for a bit and rise to the top of that wheel, but hop off before he comes around and, and crushes yeah, into dust again.
2: It. Yeah.
0: Um, so for me, I've always liked that about the factions, and I, I've never encouraged my players to get too attached. And as I said, Dave, having been a uh, uh, a Nazarene sacrifice chap, is, has kind of turned his face away from the beast now. He's going to be really disappointed with all those lovely Nazarene talents that are in here. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been his yeah. if it stuck to it. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. Um, yeah.
0: But, maybe you um, can pick,
2: pick up on that again. Maybe.
0: But are there are there factions now? I mean, again, one of the things I feel is I can take factions any way I want to, and I'm really pleased with what you've done with, again, spoiler free, the Zelossians. I feel uh, the Order of the Prior feel a lot like, what I wrote about what I'd do with the Order of the Pariah in terms mm. of turn them into the Starfleet, of the Inverse, mm. and effectively these guys might be the Starfleet from this point on. I've got, mm. I feel I've got the license to do that if if I want to take my campaign that way. That's great. Are there any factions uh, in that you just have plans for? In, but I'm going to I'm going to be explicit here. One of our patrons is asking about um, the the Draconites. And you know, they've been they've been very quiet in the first book and in the mm. core book. Uh, mm. uh, they've got more of a face now through the bazaars in 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 book two, but they haven't been yep. particularly movers and shakers, as far as I can see.
2: Uh are they, are no. they gonna,
0: is there gonna be a big reveal about them in book three? That's what I'm asking.
2: Well, I'm never gonna let one faction be the the, the win all faction like mm-hmm. that's not never that's never gonna happen but I they, I they have a very specific um, agenda mm-hmm. uh, which means that they will align with certain other factions uh, kind of naturally uh, but still uh, be mindful of what what they want to try to achieve um, uh, they Uh, let's see how much I can talk about this. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, so the cool thing is that they are—I uh, mean, the Draconites are a Sinithian uh, faction. Uh, mm-hmm. Like they are the ones who woke up the, um, or the, the the origin of the Draconites, I would say, because now they have recruited all <laughs> over the place. But, but the 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 um, the origin is the is the families that. Uh, woke up the colonists uh, on, on Zenith and, uh, and then left. So they kind of just dumped a, lo- a bunch of people in the lap of Kwasar and kind of uh, then went away out into the darkness between the stars and reshaped themselves. Um, and uh, they found something. They discovered a bunch of things while exploring the third horizon. And um, they are now uh, trying to act on that. Uh, much, uh, you know, similar to what the Order of the pa- uh, Paria is doing as well. They have a lot of prophecies from the Portal Wars. They have, they know what they think about the Second Horizon because they, they jump ship. You know, mm-hmm. they they are actually actually like the nomad flee uh, the the nomads um, uh, and the moguls uh, leaving Second Horizon. Uh, that was what the Order of the Paria did as well. So they are definitely. Exiles, uh, self imposed exiles. Um, And I think uh, the Draconites and the Order of Faria therefore have a lot in common. They have just uh, different uh, ways to go go about it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But they are cool. I'm probably never going to. I think they are one of those factions that also was created in order for um, GMs to just something, you know, the shady. uh, almost illuminati-esque kind of uh, uh, storylines.
0: Yeah, I think this particular patron of ours is, you know, likes their use as that and is, I guess may even be worried that that they 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 will be revealed to be something other than that in in book 3, I guess, mm. or mm. maybe excited that they'll be that uh, his 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 ideas might be realized in book 3. I'm I'm not entirely sure, but
2: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of see a little bit, like I'm hinting about where they're going yeah. um, in uh, in this book. Uh, so if you read the, between the lines, I think you can kind of uh, start looking in, like you can start figuring out where their what, what their agenda is uh, to a certain degree. But um, they do, like for example, they do um, they align themselves with Alam's temple after after this book, and essentially merge. And that's always interesting to see what like what comes out of those. And Alam's temple is in the portal wars. Their uh, black lotuses and their assassins were actually kind of detrimental in killing off a lot of the Nasarenes. So they have a very uh, extensive, I would say, historical kind of relevance, for example.
0: Yeah. Now, there's a, there's a thing I, this, this may be a spoiler and maybe I can't find it now. But one of the Nazarene talents is one that can be shared with the, uh, you don't have to be a Nazarene to have that talent. You no, be allowed it's the
2: it's dancing, yeah. it's the dancer one. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're very similar.
0: Clean yourself for on that one. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. That's true. There is a talent that you can,
0: yeah. you
2: can have either way. It's two sides of a coin, I think, to some degree.
0: So um, we've been going on a long time. I've got one more question, I think, about yep. the possibilities. Um, and I realize that we may not have addressed things that you might want to say as well. But first of all, I just have to, you know, pe- people have got very excited about this picture. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show it to Ricard. But because we're an audio-only podcast, uh, y- nobody else is yeah. going to see this. Yeah. and just to say that's what people are very excited about yeah is there, there is, do you think at some point in the future a whole other book that says what's on the other end of that thing
2: there uh, might be there might be a possibility there's always possibilities here <laughs> but yeah, yeah there is uh, there is a new map in the new in the in, in book in the 3 book. yeah and it's actually uh, it's interestingly enough, a before and after map. So in the beginning of the book, you have the map as it uh,
0: so used to be. This one or, yeah. or, or in book three as well?
2: No, in that one. Yeah, I, that- I, I, I think I'm going to do the same thing in book three, actually, because I, I like that. I think it's interesting to see, like, instead of keeping the map stale, I think it's interesting to impose, like, infuse it with the the the, the changes that happens in, yeah. in the galaxy. Like, because there, the changes in the campaign are so cataclysmic, so large that they affect the star map, and yeah. I think that is exciting.
0: No, I agree. Um, fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. When 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 I got there, because I I read the PDF, I ignored the maps. So I know what the map looks like. I didn't even bother yeah. with those. And then opening this book and then going, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that was great fun. Um, so just briefly then, is there anything else uh, that you want to say about the possibilities that if, if there are any um, doubters out there who are going, oh, you've ruined my third horizon. It, it, it's killed all my storylines or whatever. Anything else you want to say about the possibilities that you've tried to open up?
2: Yeah, I think I have a few, a few notes uh, there. Uh, one is that you have um, without telling why exactly, you have a split legion and you have a, a, a essentially um, a demolished free League. Those two factions are to giving up. And free League, wh- wherever you if you were part of Free League, it's more about your kind of where you are now. Um, so th- it becomes these local groups, And they will find new alignments, Uh, and that's the same with the Legion. Legion um, uh, will attach itself to, and I think that's the beauty of it. Like the consortium paid them to be their fleet, you know, Mm -hmm. and and now something has happened that allows the Legion uh, to um, be kind of for the highest bidder, uh, or the sections of Legion will be for highest bidder. Uh, So suddenly, Legionnaires are going to show up in very different places um, for very different reasons. I think that in itself is a fun thing to explore uh, with that faction. I also think that um, we are uh, now embedding some power in uh, Yachrum uh, and the Rimward Reach, uh, which is kind of this untouched space in the QA system, uh, really. yes, like it's,
0: we... it's really interesting because uh, m- my m- my little sense of loss that I have is uh, that I don't have my in my head my Casablanca anymore because yeah. of what happened in the book. But actually, then yeah. I remembered, Tahum makes a far better uh, Casablanca.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I mean that's all the scum and villainy, right? So that's yeah. like you you get that. Uh, and you can go to Corsabad uh, in the in the quadrant and and experience you know dealing with corsairs and 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 these unruly elements as well. So I think there is a lot of more option in these kind of local power structures, and to trade and to talk and to mitigate and you know and and and. Uh, and handle those. I think that's that's fun. I think I think that's something you sh- like. Everyone should try to explore as much as possible. And the other thing, which was actually one of the purposes here, was that search uh, of the icons is big. Like Mira is big. Um, with this has tons and tons of history. It's one of the kind of first, uh, uh, the earliest colonized planets and uh, systems in in uh, the Third Horizon. So Mira is it's like seeping with history. And they got a little bit lost, I would say, when when um, the Sinithian factions arrived and kind of just claimed space. And you have Dabaran, who is also like the Dars, who is also kind of fighting to kind of claim their heritage and kind of stand up. Um, and the and religion is also spread out uh, in the Third Horizon. And with this... Um, with this book, I think uh, and definitely where I'm going to push towards in the third book is that um, people, when they feel doubt, when they feel afraid, and when they feel that something has happened that has um, broken their, their faith, they will flock to something that makes sense. And the church of the icons is there to welcome them with open arms. Mm. So I think they will be uh they they they, sh- they they will be a driver for the religious aspect the believers they will be the the the, the matriarch and the patriarch uh, in that structure is going to welcome the believers and give them something to have faith in again uh and I think is an, an an interesting aspect if you want to play the religious track kind of uh, in this uh, in this universe I think you should really uh embrace that uh, mm. uh, yeah but uh so so it, it, it's gonna be i think you you put it well before and it's like it, it is actually opening up to be more sandbox yeah, uh, yeah. And, and more explorative than it was uh, before i would say and it's you will have really much more of ahead. yeah yeah and you will have much more of like small segments of each each of these factions in, in, in each of these places, I think, also. Like, everyone will be a little bit... Yeah, there will be mini Third Horizons, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in, the dif- in the different uh, locations.
0: And it's kind um, of post-colonial, isn't it? In that um, if, if, if you look at the story before, that you had a whole bunch of isolationist communities that were mm-hmm. forced mm-hmm. together, forced to become the Third Horizon... By the mm. arrival of the Zenithians and by them going around and saying, "Right, you're civilised now. Mm. We're opening up trade routes," mm. very much, arguably, uh, like the Middle East here on old Alada and the colonial forces that came in and said, "No, you're going to work. You're going to do it this way, and we're having all your oil." And uh, exactly. Uh, right. And now, now we're looking at a post-colonial um, third horizon, where yeah. the great big power is hasn't gone. But it, has it hasn't been, gone, um,
2: diminished, stepped away a bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, suddenly, everyone that was complaining uh, get to show if they can be better rulers, or you know, drive a better society, or be more self-determination civilized.
0: is everything. It's crapped up to be. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So that's interesting. You can, you
2: can, as a GM, you can definitely play on that and have the uh, entire societies collapse uh under uh, you know dictatorship and other stuff uh, so i think if you want to go the political track you can definitely toy around with with those aspects a lot uh, beyond this point
0: and what i really liked seeing as well in this book um is maybe this should be the final point we could talk about this for days and maybe you have to come back and do another bit later on but um one of the things i really liked are those uh, new aspects of some of the icons that we've seen the machine mm. icon mm. um and it always disappointed me. I'm gonna reach down here where well, I've got these, Have them close by. It always disappointed me that these are uh, different, these different icons are different only in colour. So you've got two deck hands here, same picture of the deck hand, mm. just a different backing colour. And mm. when I first got this pack of cards, I was hoping there were gonna be multiple different
1: different There's aspects of, each of the sense. icons.
0: Yeah. And yeah. Can we have some more icon pictures? I think what I'm saying is in book three. Can we have some more <laughs> aspects of the icons? Yeah, the but I
2: mean, there? I mean, it's possible, right? Because essentially, what you will get is it's like um, some will be merged uh, for some cultures, some will be expanded for some cultures. I think um, I think the structure was so intensely set on on on, on this kind of core part. And so that all of the civilized systems were were having that as their, their um, belief system uh, to a great point. And there was only mention in the rulebook, uh, etc., that, you know, small tribes on the individual planets might worship an aspect of etc., etc. But for the most part, people were kind of agreeing on on the aspects of the, uh, the icons. I think the interesting part of that is to play uh, with doubt, like Comes re- re-evaluation, and with re-evaluation, you will also start to see new characteristics of these aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wanted to make a point, like the machine icon is a vital part of that, because I want to make a point of uh, uh, essentially the em- the emissary in the first book is, you know, is, is the um, uh, uh, what's the icon for the messenger. the messenger? Yeah, exactly. Is is representing the messenger, but. After the final events in that book, that character or that that, that um entity isn't isn't the messenger anymore, yeah. it becomes the machine icon. And it becomes so through the faith and belief of humans. Mm. When enough people believe that there is a new icon at play, there is a new icon at play. And I think that's interesting. And then you can kind of read as much or as little into that as possible i'll have to
0: make a whole new edition of the choreo calendar
2: <laughs> exactly exactly
0: well it's been um, brilliant talking to you ricard um and yeah likewise. Uh, thank you for s- spending so much time with us we yes if we haven't said enough and maybe we'll get a bunch of feedback about this program and then we can come back and invite you to talk over some of the other concerns or or opportunities that people are seeing and we can we can get You're taking all of those, but thank you very much. It's been a brilliant time.